apparently our first four gifts of the season. We have four services, so that's that. Uh, I'm Caleb, I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met, I look forward to meeting you. I'm glad that you're here this morning, starting your day off this way. It's great to be with you. Uh, Monica indicated that we are in this step-in uh, campaign, this, this season of our church, excitedly anticipating a move from here to, to a there, and, and the there for us is the Regency Movie Theater. And we reached an agreement with them. We're moving toward the city, uh, what's called a CUP, and things like that that we're working out and anticipating, hoping, and praying toward being in there at the end of next summer. So we're excited about that. You will, if you were here the previous weeks, you'll remember that you received a prayer card the first time, and we said, here are 30 things for the next 30 days to join us in praying about. You don't have to stop at 30 days, but that was kind of like a 30-day goal to do. We're posting those on social media so you can participate. I have a little alarm set in my clock, so that at 3.05 every day I'm praying that God would help us get from here to there collectively as a church, also personally in our various lives uh, that he would that he would just be with us, that we have that sense. Then last week, or was it two weeks ago, we gave you this card, and we invited you to write down uh, things that you were praying for specifically, stuff that's specific to you, people, people's names. A bunch of you wrote down people's names. We love that uh, because then we are also praying. So we have a whole prayer team that is looking at these, praying for those people, praying for those dreams, praying for those ideas and those visions that you have the influence that you will have, that our church will have, as we extend our reach into the community. That's what this is. If you don't have this yet, you can still fill this out. There's some on the clear box that's out there. We would love for you to drop those off. You'll notice that in your bulletin package this week, you have this fancy brochure. Fits in the back pocket conveniently. Uh, Would you please uh, resist the temptation to scour this thing in the next 25 minutes. Uh, just because it makes me feel better when I, when I see you, I feel like you're with me. But we wanted you to have this so that you can really kind of understand the journey that we've been on as a church, what it looks like, what we're excited about, where we're headed. And that's why we gave you this. Lots of information here that will be helpful to you. And you can uh, join us on this journey, especially if you are newer to it. Lastly, we gave you this envelope. And inside of it is a commitment card. The reason why we're doing this is because we have costs that go into this move, and there's just raw dollar figures. We're trying to raise $1.5 million to renovate that movie theater to make it our own, and it's just the deal. Now, we're sensitive about talking about money around here because we know it's a sensitive issue. We know it's difficult to talk about. We know that people have abused finances in churches and in nonprofits that you've had bad experiences, and so we're careful about it, and yet we still must talk about it. It's a part of life. No great thing, no great dream ever happens without people sacrificing and without money being allocated toward it. It's just real. It happens. It's the way things work, and so we must talk about it. Two weeks from now, we are going to invite you to bring these back and to, we're going to sit here and we're going to make commitments. We're going to say, I'm in for this. I believe that this is what God is saying to me uniquely. We don't have swipers out on the patio. We're not asking for money today because we don't want this to be a transaction. We really don't. We want this to be a spiritual journey for you, that you would actually listen to God. Allow him to speak to you. 
Not be weirded out or threatened or whatever. Not be coerced. Not be persuaded. It would be between you and God. No one checking up on you. No one caring. No one manipulating that you would hear from God. And my hope is that everyone will participate at some level. That the amount is not my concern. My concern would be that you would take it seriously. You would put it before God that you would let him speak to you and that you would participate at some level. My favorite stories to this point one of them was this, uh, this precious woman who I don't even know who she is because she just wrote on an envelope uh, just with a blue pen and just wrote, uh, this is all I have to my name. I'm an unemployed single mother in school. And there's a $20 bill inside. But whether I had $20 or $200 or $2,000, I would give it because I believe in what God's doing. Those are the kind of things. It's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice for that person. What's a sacrifice for her. Another story, a 30-year-old single professional woman walks up to me with a check in her hand, literally shaking like this, shaking. And she says, take it, take it, take it, take it, just take it. And, and I go, well, okay. And she goes, I, God gave me a number and you just have to take it because I can't even believe that I wrote this down and that I'm doing this right now. So whatever is the sacrifice, whatever it is that God speaks to you, that it would be a spiritual journey for you, that is our goal. We'll be celebrating that next week. And if you are here for the first time or you're newer to our church, this is not for you. Don't panic and think that we always talk about money. We don't always talk about it like this. Um, But we are a generous community, and we have a vision for what we believe God wants to do in our church. And we have had our lives impacted And God has changed our hearts. And so we are generous with others. We want others to be able to experience the same thing. We want others to be able to experience faith, hope, and love. And so this contribution, this move is about us expanding our reach and our influence in this city so that more people could find their way to to knowing who God is and understanding that he has a purpose and a plan for their life. We see our church as a city on a hill a beacon on a boardwalk, a place of light in a dark place. And we just want to shine that light to those around us. I want to introduce you to one person who has had their life impacted uh, in, this, in this past year. And she wanted to share just a little glimpse of her story with you this morning. Would you please welcome Jennifer? Thank you. Good morning. So I was blessed to grow up in a very loving Christian family. Church and Christ have always been things that were the center of our household. I've had a picture-perfect plan for my life and how God would use me since a very young age. A short version of a very long story is that it has not been picture-perfect or anywhere near what I had planned. I attended Biola University and was married fairly young. Shortly after being married, we began to have problems, but I kept most things to myself. My husband became the youth pastor, and I felt an even greater pressure to put forth an image of the perfect couple. By the end of the third year of our marriage, which consisted of multiple infidelities and was slowly becoming abusive, I chose to leave my marriage. But due to my pride, all of this happened without me ever seeking the help of my church, my family, or even my friends. My life felt pretty much out of my control as I went from being a youth pastor's wife to feeling like a failure due to my short marriage and like I could never really fit in at a church again. That feeling changed for me the moment I came to Mariner's Huntington Beach. On my first Sunday here, I immediately felt like this church was the real thing. Then Caleb spoke briefly about having been divorced, and I remember sitting there stunned. 
For the first time in years, I felt like this was a place where maybe I could be accepted. I got connected at Mariners and joined Rooted, and it was an incredible experience for me. I'd be lying, though, if I said things just got easier after that. I still made poor choices. There was a longing in my life, and I sought out ways to fill that hole. I tried to be good, but I wanted life to be better or easier. I wanted that to happen right now. I was tired of waiting, and when it wasn't happening, it caused me to give up so often. It was so much easier to give in and receive even temporary satisfaction and happiness. I remember about a month ago in a message, the words, death is the finality of hope, stuck out to me. Choose to let your hope and not your hurt shape your future. I knew that my hope was in Jesus, but what stood out to me was, do I truly believe that? Do I believe enough to make a statement aloud? Something as simple as standing up and saying the words, I believe, felt like the most terrifying thing I ever had to do. I knew that if I made the choice to believe, then that would need to be followed by actions. I had been waiting for God to prove something to me. I wanted a sign. I was waiting for him to go first, and then I would follow. But as I thought about it, I realized that it was not the way things worked. Where's the faith in that? So I made the commitment that day. I do believe. It's a growing process, but it starts with making the right choices. After Rooted, I joined Stepping Into His Image, and I've been so blessed to become connected with a group of great ladies in this church. Saying I believe is no longer something I just say because I'm a Christian, because it's what we're supposed to say. This time, it was my choice. Taking that stand was my game changer. I'm grateful that as I take steps of faith, God is changing my life. I'd just like to encourage you that no matter what has happened or what you're facing, there is hope. Thank you, Jennifer. You know, a lot of people uh, have a fear that surrendering their life, that, that deciding to believe to make a dramatic life change like that is going to limit their experience of life. But it, the exact opposite is true. You see, most of us grew up believing that there were two options in terms of how your life could play out. That you could go what I, down the road that I call rebelliousness, which is like just taking a swan dive into indulgence and doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And just trying to minimize the consequences. Because no one wants to go to jail, right? But up until jail, uh, it's just kind of like, I want to do what I want to do. So I call that kind of the rebellious path. On the, on the other end of the spectrum is the religious path. So for those of us that realize that, you know what, I, there's darkness in me. There, I, this is not, uh, not kind of what I want. I, I want to do good stuff, but I, wanna, I don't want to be bad. I want to be, be a Christian. I want to be religious. I want to be viewed in this way. And so we tend to bind our hands and our feet so we don't go too far out of line. And we don't do the really bad stuff. And, and we look the part. And we do the rules. And, and, we, and we hop around. And we try to look like we're being good. But over here, these religious people are judging the rebellious people, thinking, oh, you guys, do you know that there's a heaven and a hell? And, nah, 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 nah. and then the rebellious people are over here looking at the religious people, thinking, you guys are missing out on life. And you're hypocrites. Because I know that you're thinking that you want to be doing what I'm doing anyway. And we grow up with these two opposites, and we think that this is what life is about, that you have to choose between one or the other, but there's another way. There's another path. And what we've been talking about in this series is that there's this other way, is this reality that the God of the universe actually came here. He put on skin, he showed up, he lived a human existence, and he died a brutal death that we could understand what it means to know him. And when he went back into heaven, he didn't just leave us alone, but he left his spirit. 
And we've been looking at this famous letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to people in Rome, appropriately called Romans, and we've been seeing last week and this week that, that it's his spirit, actually, the spirit of God, Jesus' own spirit, that gives us the power to live this life, that you don't change yourself, that you don't get yourself all cleaned up, doing all the religious you know, routines, and that's not what makes you good. But at the same time, you don't want to go down this rebellious path and just pretend that you can do whatever you want either. That's a cycle that won't lead you where you want to go too. But a different way, that his very spirit, the spirit of God that breathed life into this world is available to you to live in you and through you and renew you at the same time. As we talk about the Spirit of God, it's important to realize that, that we know, I know, it's a mystery. We don't fully get it. Uh, we don't completely understand this invisible Spirit that we refer to. There's a mystery to it. So we, what we try to do is we try to find language to connect with our experiences. So people have talked about, and scriptures talk about, how the Spirit is like the wind. That you can't see the wind, it's invisible, but you can see the effects of the wind. If it blows a flag, if it blows someone's hair, you, you can see that the wind is real. No one denies that the wind is real, even though you can't actually see wind. Some people talk about the spirit in terms of their own conscience, and they think, well, I have this conscience thing that happens, and it was, it was my conscience that told me I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't go down this road, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Other people say, I, have a, I had a check in my spirit, that there was this prompting there was this nudge, there was this conviction, there was this something, this whisper inside, all language that we try to use to figure out the mysteriousness of this spirit. But this, this influence that was pointing me in this direction or preventing me from going down this path or encouraging me to have this conversation or that stopped me before I said that because I would have regretted it. And so we, we figure out what this spirit is doing and how he works, even though he is mysterious. And we look back to this letter that the famous apostle Paul wrote in Romans. And I want to tell you this. I'm going to read just a few verses. Uh, and some of you who are like the theological buffs, you're going to be like, I want more of those verses. And what you can do is you can go and you can read. It's in Romans chapter 8. You have access to it. You can read more on your own, or, or you can get in a group, in a life group, hopefully, and you can go a little bit further with it this week. There's going to be others of you that what I read is already going to be too much. And you're like, that's too much Bible stuff and theology. Just stick with me because we're going to show you how it's accessible and it intersects all of our life. And at the end, I'm going to read you a song that we'll all be able to relate to. So here we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful like slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Now, the literal translation for Abba is daddy. It means daddy. It's, an, it's a word of endearment, of intimacy. And Paul, the guy that they do stained glass windows of, you know, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul says, God, you can refer to him as daddy. When you think about God, think about him in terms of dad, daddy. You get that. Some of you have kids. 
All of you were kids at some time and had parents of some sort or guardians. You know that intimacy. Uh, Jack, my two-and-a-half-year-old, he fell off the sofa yesterday. Uh, he was just playing and, uh, and fell off. He does the Superman thing, and he, like, dives off the arm, and he lands, and just, all, like, all day long. So one time, he took a bad bounce, and he fell off the sofa, and he bonked his head on the coffee table. And so he comes crying to me, Daddy, Daddy, hold you, hold you, just bawling tears. And so I pick him up like you do, you know, because I'm not going to be like, you punk, it's your fault, you shouldn't have done. No, your kid's crying. You pick him up. That's what you do. You hold him. You rub his head. He says, Daddy, I bonked, I bonked. I'm like, okay, buddy, it's okay. He says, you kiss it, Daddy, you kiss it. And I'm like, okay, I'll kiss it. Because some mom somewhere started telling kids that you kissed owies and they got better. So I just perpetuate that lie and I, and I kiss his head. <laughs> and... And then he says, Daddy, my arm. I bonked my arm. And I'm like, okay. So I kissed the arm. And he goes, Daddy, my foot. I bonked my foot. I'm like, this was quite a fall, Jack. This was, you know, just two feet. But, you know, it was a doozy of a fall. But I'll, I'll kiss the owie, you know. And I'll keep kissing those owies because he's my kid. And if he's crying and if he's hurt, I want him to know that I'm with him, that it's going to be okay. I'm sure that there's an expiration date on that, high school at least, uh, you know, when, when I won't kiss the owies anymore. But for now, it's just like, you're my kid, of course. You swoop them up, you hold them, you hug them, you kiss the owies. It's what you do. And do you think that I thought of that? No. Did your parents think of that? Were you the first one to love your kids, to just want to hold them? Were you the first kid to reach up and say, Daddy, Mommy, hold you, hold you? No. God wired that into this world and into you. It was his idea. And that relationship that we have or that we wish that we had with our parents, with our kids, it was his design. It's a shadow of the relationship that he wants to have with you. Paul says, remember, he's daddy He's your creative, creating God. He made you. He gave you some parents to steward you for a little while on this earth, but he's ultimately daddy, and you can talk to him like that. And then in verse 17, he goes on. Since we, were his, we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. That's when the needle on the record scratches and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Suffering? What suffering? What is this suffering you speak of? I don't want to share in his suffering. What? We, don't, we don't want suffering. Who wants suffering? No one wants suffering. What does this mean, share in his suffering? We live in a culture that avoids suffering at all costs, right? We live in a culture that's all about comfort. Our culture just wants to be more comfortable. You probably eat a meal, eat your dinner in an upright chair, right? And then as soon as you finish, you move to a chair that reclines, don't you? Uh, but some of you don't. Some of you just eat in the chair that reclines to begin with and just tilt the plate kind of toward your mouth. Because we love to be comfortable. Our culture avoids pain, right? And, and discomfort and difficulty like it's the plague. Uh, I'm a fan of ibuprofen and Advil and things like this. I'm a fan of Novocaine. I don't want to feel the pain if I don't have to. That's a good thing. Ladies, I'm a fan of epidurals. My wife 
My wife is like, the moment that she gets into the hospital bed, she's like, right here. This is where it goes. Uh, put, it, put it in. And like the moment that it's okay to insert the epidural, she wants it. And, and I am, you know, not a big medicine guy, but I'm like, hey, I'm a believer, whatever. You, happy wife, happy life. Someone taught me that. And so epidural, good thing. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm for you on that. Or what about uh, P90X, which is like the craze a, a few years ago. And everyone's like, yeah, 90-minute workouts. I'm going to do it in my garage. And then a year later, they come out with like P30K, right? Because they're like, never mind about the 90 minutes. Here's just a 30-minute workout for you. This will be enough. And now the craze on social media is the 7-minute workout. That's what everybody wants to do, right? Because we're in a culture that wants to avoid pain. If we can minimize the pain and maximize whatever it is that we think that we want to get, that's what we'll do. Our culture is all about comfort and avoiding pain, and we don't blame them, right? We get that. We, we want that too. And yet, there is pain. As much as you and I try to avoid it, as much as we want to deny it and ignore it, there is pain. This world is full of pain. Our lives are full of pain, and we experience it. And you can't get around it. And people that you love are going through it. And we know because we see it. And we see people hurting. And we see people crying. And we see people doing another thing. What we do when we feel pain, we do those things. But we also do this one other thing for the purpose of our conversation I want to emphasize. And that's this. We groan. We groan when we're in pain. You've seen someone writhing on the floor when they injure themselves playing a sport, and it's just, ah, ah. That's the, that's the immediate guttural response is we groan. Something is wrong. Something is broken. We groan. I groaned yesterday because Hillary uh, is teaching a new Matt Pilates class, and she says, will you take this new class? It's the first time that I'm teaching it. I could really use your support. I knew, it was against my better judgment, I have no business being in this Pilates class, but I did it to support my wife. And so I was at the back of the room, and I had my little mat, looking totally awkward. I don't know what I'm doing. And there's one other guy in the class at the other corner of the back of the room, and everyone, and 30 women. And uh, I'm in there. I'm exhausted after the warm-up. And I'm just trying to hold in, hang in there, look the part. After the warm-up, she pauses and she says, hey, everybody, just want to let you know my hubby's in the back. He's exercise. He's doing the Pilates class with, uh, with us to be supportive. Isn't it great? Thank you so much. Now I have 30 women watching me uh, do the Pilates, judging me with their eyes. And me and the one, only other dude at the back of the room, we're the only ones groaning. And we're groaning. And, and it's just like, ugh, and you're holding a pose, and then she tells you to do something else with your leg, and you're like, oh, I can't, you know, right? And so halfway through, I had basically given up. My, my kind of arms and legs are starting to just fail, and things are just kind of falling, and I can't keep up what she's doing, and people are, you know, powering on. She's got a little microphone, and she says, oh, no, it looks like we've lost my hubby. <laughs> Just, just, just shine in the light, right? I know. Just groan. But I did. I, I just, I jumped to position and I'm like trying to see what they're doing. And I got, put my elbows there and my leg out. I try to, try to look the part. And I said, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. And the chick next to me goes, in spirit. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. But we... We groan. We groan when we're in pain. We groan when we ache. 
You groan when your team loses. We groan when we have to write the, the tax check at the end of the year. We groan. We groan when things don't go our way, when we have to shut down the business, when we didn't get the grade that we needed on the test. And we groan when we go through real severe difficulty, pain, and loss in our lives. We groan when the family blows up because of the thing that happened. We groan with the diagnosis, and it is what you hoped that it wasn't. And we groan. We groan when our loved ones go through pain and get in a car accident and are battling back. We groan. We groan. We groan when the marriage breaks. We groan when our when our parent dies, or worse, when our kid or someone that when we would lose. And there's something in us that just groans because oftentimes words can't express the emotion. All we know is that this is wrong. This is broken. This shouldn't be. Why is this happening? God, where are you? This isn't right. And so we groan. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. And we believers also groan. Just stop right there for a second because there's a lot of people that think that like once they stop living the rebellious way and they quote like clean up their lives and start going to church or decide that they believe or want to follow Jesus that all of a sudden their life is supposed to be easy. I don't know. That's not real. That's not real. There is difficulty in this world. There is pain that's just part of this world. There are preachers that will preach and try to convince people to believe that if you just have enough faith, you'll be rich, you'll be skinny, and you'll be better looking. <laughs> it's not true. God has pre-wired this universe in such a way that you reap what you sow, you get out what you put in. If you put in this work, you get this kind of a product that most of the time, that's the way it works. It's not a matter of God being a genie in a bottle that you just rub the lamp and he gives you what you want when you want it. That's not the way it works. What would you call a parent who just gave their kid whatever they wanted whenever they wanted just to make their life easy? A bad parent. That's what you'd call him, a bad parent. And so God doesn't do that. He also doesn't take away the pain. He allows the pain for whatever reason, for now. He allows the pain to be part of the journey, part of the human experience. You know this to be true. You start a business, it's painful. In the first year, two years, sometimes longer, it is painful, but the pain eventually will lead to profit. When you're in education, when you're, when you're learning, those of you that have gotten your MDs, your PhDs, your masters, whatever it is, years and hours and hours of studying and going over the books and taking tests, it's painful. But eventually it leads to a profession. Exercise, you know that pain leads to eventual gain. And lastly, the best example of childbirth, that pain leads to new life. But God does not just take pain away. For now, he leaves it. He lets it be part of your experience, part of how this world works. But he invites us to recognize this is the first little note in your outline to recognize that groans point to glory. 
that your groans, they point ultimately to glory. Verse 23 says, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste or as a taste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. That groan is connected to glory somehow. And that even though we long for this future when we don't have to live in these bodies anymore, that we trust what the Bible says, that God's going to give us a new heavenly body. And some of you are like, sign me up. I am ready. This thing's falling apart on me. I groan every time I look in the mirror when I get out of bed. And God says, you will recognize each other, but you'll be different. You'll have brand new bodies on the other side of what we see right here and right now. And that day is coming, he says, that heaven is for real. There will be a time when there's no more pain. There's no more struggle. There's no more death and dying and tears and loss and abuse. And even though you're like, yeah, bring that time. I want that time now. Sign me up. Heavenly body upgrade. I am ready. The reality is we're still here. We're not there yet. And we still groan. But if you can remember that those groans, as real, as painful as they are, they are pointing you toward a future glory. They are reminding you that this is not the end of the story. That it doesn't stop here, that it's not done with, that this isn't how it finishes, that something is still coming, something new is being birthed. And in the meantime, we do the second thing, which is we rely on God's Spirit. We put our hope in this invisible, mysterious God. Verse 26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Isn't that interesting? That the Spirit of God actually groans with you? He, he groans with you. I think it has to do with Jesus having been God put on skin, comes and lives a human experience. He experienced all the pain and the suffering that you and I do. He lived this human life. He gets it. His was worse. He was betrayed by everybody he knew, brutally beaten and killed, murdered on a cross. He lived all of that. He gets it. And so when, when he says that the Spirit is with you, groaning right there in it with you. Look at this next verse. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Some of you, when you were in your darkest time of pain, you felt like you were alone, like the world just kept on turning for everybody else, but yours came to a screeching halt, and it was the most lonely, most devastating, most isolated time of your life. You were not alone. There's something mysterious about this reality, but God says he leans in a little bit more when you're in pain. He's just that much closer when you are groaning, when, when you are brokenhearted, and when you feel crushed. You are not alone. You are not alone. He is with you. He doesn't take away the pain. He is right in the middle of it with you. And there's one more reason for hope. Verse 28, 
And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Everything. God is working all things, not just some things, not just things for some people, not you. You're not religious enough or you're not whatever enough. He works all things for the good of those who love him. Even this, yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how, but even this. Jennifer would stand up and she would tell you the same thing. No one wants to go through these things, but somehow on the other side, looking back, you're amazed. I don't know how. It's mysterious and I don't fully get it, but God was with me in it and he's even brought good of that terrible, terrible situation. He's the only one who can do it. No one else can do it. You can't fix everything and bring good. You've already tried. But he's the spirit. He's the force of good that is working things, making progress from pain, bringing beauty from brokenness. While we run away from pain and discomfort, he uses it for good. I saw just two weeks ago, I saw an older gentleman that I hadn't seen in a while, and he told me, he just, just one of those like 80-year-old guys that doesn't understand, you know, uh, personal space, and, and he, uh, he like grabbed my shirt and just gets so close to my face, he goes, you look different. He hadn't seen me in a while, it had been like 12 years or something, and, uh, and I said, well, I'm not sure that's a compliment because it's been 12 years since you've seen me, so uh, what are you trying to say? He goes, no, 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 no. I just know your story and what you went through, the loss and the quarter-life crisis. That's my words. Because I know that there were some hard days and dark days in there, but you look different now. You have a light in your eyes. You're lighter. You're, you smile more. You're more approachable. I don't mean to diminish the, the difficulty that you went through, but you look great. There's truth to that. Somehow. We wouldn't wish the hard stuff around anybody, but somehow, when you trust him, God has a way of working even the worst circumstances together for good. On a, on a separate note, just our whole journey with this step-in thing to the movie theater, it's been brutal. It's been a year. It's been difficult. There's been issues with the city and zoning and then the owner. And the, I mean, we could, if you don't know already, we'll tell you the whole journey. But, but it's been very difficult at times. And yet, we're right here at the finish line. And our situation, our deal, our opportunity, it's better than it ever has been. It's going to be so great. And we're going to celebrate. And we're going to look back. And we're going to say it was worth it. And I know there's some of you who are sitting here and you're thinking, I, I can't say that this is worth it. I can't say that this is good and I don't know how he could possibly make good from my life personally right now. I just want to, I have one more bit of encouragement to you to remember that this is not the end and then we're going to do together what Psalm 40 says, which is sing a new song. Sing a new song. Let's read these words. From Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. 
He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Many will see and be amazed. Some of you will see and be amazed at what God did in circumstances that seemed like there was nothing that could come about. And you didn't know how you would get through, and you'll be amazed. And other people will look at you and your family, and they'll say, I don't know how they do it. But in spite of all the circumstances, they still have a light about them. They still have joy about them. They still have a good attitude about them, and they will be amazed, and they'll say, there's something different about you. You must have something else happening inside of you. And our church, people will be amazed, and as we go on, there's to influence more people, and that's what this whole step-in thing is about. But for you personally, it starts this morning. Will you sing a new song? Some of you have been holding on the pain is not acute and precise right now, but it's just like this numb ache because you've been holding on to it for so long. Will you sing a new song? Will you trust that the groan points to glory and that his spirit is with you in the middle of it? And when you, will you let him give you a new song that you can sing? God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone and even though we go through things that seem unfair and that seem like they just shouldn't be, that you have a way of working even the worst of situations out for good somehow. Give us the desire to trust you and give us the sense that you're with us. We don't have anywhere else to turn. We just need you. Would you be with us here as we respond?